We walk in that freedom this morning, Father. We thank you for that freedom. Everything that your cross and your resurrection brought us, we walk in it today. And we praise you for it. We're going to thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad for that freedom in Jesus? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's be seated for a few moments, if you would.
beyond our faults. You look beyond all of our failures, all of our sin. You saw the need, and you didn't tell us to take care of it. You came in the flesh to take care of the sin issue for us. It's because of that broken body that we can sit here this morning in your wonderful presence. We ask your blessing right now in Jesus' name as we partake of the bread together. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together.
letter to the Ephesian church. And we are in the, starting in the 10th verse is where this, this whole section begins. <clears throat> and we are in, oh, down here to verse 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 today, as I believe was where we're at. So let's just read from 13 just to get the perspective again uh, from where we are. Therefore, Ephesians 6, 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Remember, we said in this little section four times, he says stand, stand, stand. Stand, therefore, verse 14, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We'll stop right there. We began this introduction to putting on the armor of God uh, by uh, an understanding of several things. And number one, as we look back in our context, that we are in a spiritual battle with spiritual beings who are bent on our destruction. That's what it's all about. They are bent on our destruction. The primary way that they work, of course, is to lies and deception schemes and wiles of the devil. He is uh, powerless for us. You might have heard in the past uh, the saying that the only power that Satan has is the power that we give him. And that is true. And usually we give it to him because he is so smart. He knows how to trick us up. He knows how to deceive us. He knows how to put things in our path that will confuse us. And then, of course, his lies take over. He is the father of lies, the word says. Uh, Jesus said that the whole world lies in the, literally, in, in the original, it says, in the lap of the evil one. So the whole world just lies dead in the lap of the devil. His chief desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. He said that you are his enemy, and he wants you dead. That's his desire for us. So Paul begins this armor then by saying, here's how we fight that. First of all, we're standing, aren't we? We're standing. We're standing against the enemy. And he begins by telling us that our foundation starts with girding our loins with truth and putting on a breastplate of righteousness. That's our foundation, truth and righteousness. We gird our loins with everything that's true, everything that's righteous. Paul says it to the Philippians uh, in this way, that whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, and lovely, if there's being anything virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on those things, right? How important it is for us to tune our brains into the Word, to think properly, to think with proper understanding on the Word of God. So our righteousness, our breastplate, if you will, is seated on or linked to the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes the foundation of our truth, the foundation of our righteousness. And then he goes on, and he says the next thing is the feet, and he said, we, you know, we talked about that, that you put on action. The action of the feet is bringing, wherever we move, wherever we move, it's bringing the good news of Jesus. The feet that are planted in the good news, we bring the good news, and the gospel becomes that good news to everybody that we meet in the world uh, around us. So he now moves to the next piece of armor, and he says something very interesting about faith. He says in verse 16, the first two words, Above all. Now, you would think that if he was looking at the armor of that Praetorian Guard, of that soldier, that maybe he would have started at the head with salvation and worked down to the feet. Or he would have started from the feet and worked up. But he started first with the loins. And he says truth and righteousness have to be the central focal point of everything in our, in our, in our walk. Then he goes to the feet. Then he goes to the shield of faith. And he says, above all. And that's sort of interesting, the way he phrases this. Just like he phrased, not your feet shot with the gospel, but with the preparation of the gospel. Here he says, above all. So that, that's strange because you think, wait a minute, above the word? Are we supposed to have more faith? Is faith more important than the word of God? Well, notice first, the position of faith, it's before the word of God. And you say, well, that sounds like that's backward, but in reality, it's not. Uh, Matthew, this, the, uh, I'm sorry, Mark, the seventh chapter, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he said, you make the word of God of no effect through your tradition, 
We all know a very famous passage in Hebrews 11, which we'll talk about in a moment. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It is possible to nullify the word of God by our traditions, by our interpretations, and by our unbelief. We can. We can take this most powerful thing in the universe, this word, Jesus, this word, and we can make it totally null and void by our disbelief. I, I know there are several people uh, in the past I've talked to that do not believe in healing, for instance. They just don't believe that the Bible teaches healing. Well, guess what? Nobody ever gets healed. If you don't believe it, if you don't accept it, then guess what? It's not going to happen. So we can make this, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees, we can make this really of no effect. We can nullify this. Remember what Jesus, what it said of Jesus, he went to his hometown, but he couldn't do any work, work great works there because of their unbelief. So we can take this word and make it of no effect. So I believe that's why Paul says, above all, let's start with this first concept that, number one, we've got to get in our hearts and minds that we believe in God, we believe in the Word, and that's how it begins to work, our faith. Now, the second thing uh, in this is not just the position of faith, but the practice of faith. And I want to get a, a good understanding of what biblical faith is this morning. And in order to do this, I want to take you back 500 years. That's a long time. Don't worry, it's not going to be a 500 year long sermon, but we're going back 500 years. To the start of the Reformation period. And this is an interesting thing that the reformers did at that time, because in the, and we're going we're to sort of go to school here a little bit, okay? <clears throat> and uh, uh, Dr. Phil will pass out the test at the end of the, <clears throat> end of the class. But uh, at the end of the 14th, 14th century or so was, of course, the beginning of the Renaissance period. We were coming out of the Dark Ages, and there was this explosion of culture and art and music and all sorts of things were, were beginning to burgeon all across uh, Europe. That was the 14th century. In the 17th century, uh, Europe began to move into what was called the Age of Reason. It was the scientific method. Uh, the philosophy was beginning to grow. Reason was the thing. Uh, and so that, that was that age. And sandwiched right in between those two things was the Reformation period, where we came out of Catholicism. And that was the time of Calvin and Wesley and Luther and, and all those individuals. And as they were in that period, they were trying to figure out how to communicate to the world what faith was. How do we tell the, how do we tell the Renaissance people? How do we tell the, the, this, these reasoning people now, all the philosophers that are coming? How do we tell them what true biblical faith is? Because they were mixed up in Catholicism. How do we tell them that true faith is not just repeating prayers? True faith is not religion. It's not denominationalism. True faith is not works. So how do we tell them what true faith is? All right. They came up with this neat little thing, which are actually three levels of faith. And they did it in the, in the Latin. It was notitia and ascensus and fiducia. Uh, and we'll get to those in a minute. But the, the three levels, literally in English, are data. They started with data, D-A-T-A. -A. They started with data. And the second one is mental assent. Mental assent, that's the next level. And the final level is personal trust, which is fiducia, which we'll, we'll get to in a minute. You probably already know the name, fiducia, from which we get a fiduciary, which is a trustee, which is, right, Mikey? fiduciary is a trustee. It's someone that, that you trust to handle your, your, your financial information. So they came up with these three levels. So we're going to delve into this for the next few moments. And just bear with me. Uh, if you don't get this, just laugh at me. It's okay. But they said, for faith to begin, it starts with data that you see around you. Paul puts it this way in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed in heaven against all ungodliness and the righteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. 
no power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, the foundation of this first step of data is you look at the trees, you look at the mountains, you look at the ocean, you look at the you look at your body and the way it was shaped and formed. You look at everything, and if you are honest with yourself, you're going to say, there has to be a God. There has to be. You look at the stars tonight, and you realize, there has to be a God. Somebody had to make all this stuff. There has to You realize from the data, Paul says, everybody knows that there is a God just by opening your eyes. Look at the baby that is just born. How did that happen? It's amazing. And look how the baby grows. And look at, it's amazing. We know there is a God. Hebrews 11th chapter. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, by the elders obtained a good report. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Sounds very confusing. It's interesting that the writer of Hebrews links faith with creation. He says, we know that everything we see is made of something that was originally invisible. Now, let's go to science class, can we? I've been fascinated uh, in the past here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll bore you, probably, but I've been fascinated about the relationship between space, time, and matter. I know, I don't have a life. I understand. But there is a fascinating relationship between space, time, and matter. And I'm going to do it very simply because I'm a simple person too, so I'm sure if anybody sees this, any physicists see this, they'll probably laugh hysterically. But it's true. Albert Einstein came up with this first. He says there, you, you have to have space, matter, and time all together at the same time. You cannot just have space. There has to be matter. You cannot have matter. There has to be space. If I'm holding this microphone, it's taking up its matter. Right? And it's taking up space. There's also time involved. And he got into the whole thing about how matter bends time. Gravity through matter bends time. So he said there's a relationship. You have to have all three in order for anything to happen. Now, follow me. Stay with me. Physicists now come along in, in, in our present world, and they say, of course, the laws of thermodynamics, they say matter can be either created nor destroyed. So they say that all the matter that you see in the universe, everything, every galaxy, every universe, everything that you see, everything you can touch, taste, and feel, everything, was already at creation in what they call the Big Bang, right? It was a primordial ball of matter that was extremely dense and extremely heavy. It was just sitting there. But remember, there, there is no time, space, or matter, but yet it was sitting in nothingness. So the ball was sitting there in nothingness. Then they say one of the other laws of thermodynamics is that any body at rest stays at rest unless an outside force acts upon it. So if this, if I, this pulpit has been sitting here, and it will sit here until I move it. Anything that is at rest remains at rest. So they say that at a certain point in time, that extremely dense ball exploded into all the universes that we see right now. Now here's the question. Here's the question. It was Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. The ball was sitting there. It wasn't really Thursday at 1 p.m. I'm just using at one second after 1 p.m., the ball exploded, and here we are. The big question is, what was the outside force that acted on the ball that was spaceless, timeless, and immaterial that acted on the ball to make it explode? They do not have an answer for that yet. They're looking for it, they're calling it the singularity, they're calling it string theory, they're calling it quantum this and that, they're trying to find out what that was. Well, guess what, folks? We know who the spaceless, timeless, and immaterial person was. That person was God. It's so easy to understand when you just accept it. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs, I don't know what the ball was doing, I don't know how it got there, but all I know is that he was the one that started this whole thing. Had to. 
Aristotle, Aristotle uh, was an atheist, and he said, I cannot ever admit that there is a God, so I will say what caused the universe to come into being was the unmoved mover. <laughs> Isn't God just easier to say? Sure. There was a thing that started this whole thing, but I don't know what it was. It couldn't possibly be God. So I'm going to call it the unmoved mover. How about the moon? How about the moon? Right? The moon. In a recent article from space.com, very interesting, this scientist said the moon is unique in our solar system and may be unique in the entire universe. It is 400 times smaller than the sun, but it is exactly 400 times distant from the sun. So, that creates something that does not happen in the rest of our solar system. It creates a total lunar eclipse. No other places that happen. When the moon moves between us, because of its perfect distance from the sun and its perfect size relationship, it totally blacks out the sun, and it's the only place where there's a full eclipse. How about this? The moon does not rotate. Other satellites rotate. The moon stays the same. You only see, no one has ever seen the dark side of the moon, except for the astronauts, but it was dark. No one sees anything. The face that you see is the face that you will always see. It does not rotate. And it does not rotate, and at the same time, its tilt direction is exactly 23.5, close enough to what the Earth is, so that the moon helps to maintain the orbit of the Earth, and the, and the, and the moon does not rotate as it spins, so the gravity holds our tides, right? And this scientist said, I'm not lying to you. This scientist said, I'll get the quote for you after church, if you want, I'll find it. This scientist said, it's almost as if the moon was purposely placed there. No. <laughs> we know who placed it there. God placed it there. So the data go all the way back. So the Reformation Fathers said, if you start at the data, you will begin to have faith in a supreme being. Because there's no other way you can rationalize this out. It has to be this way. Oh, we could go on for days and days talking about the human body and how incredible it is, even in its fallen state. And how they still don't understand how a baby gets the first electrical spark to get its brain moving. And how our electrical spark keeps working now. There's no, there's no sense to it. It's God. No, it's not. It's so they said it starts first with noticia or data. But, that, but they said, but that's not saving faith, though. That's not faith in Jesus. That's just the first level where you come to see that there is something bigger than us. Then they move to the second level, and it's called mental ascent. And that is a census. And that means that you accept the truth as a fact, but it's all mental. So, for instance, I could say to you, uh, do you believe in George Washington? And you would probably say, well, yeah, I do. Well, have you ever met him? No. Did he ever write a letter to you personally? No. Do you have any of his documents? No. But you have mentally assented that there is a George Washington. So that's the second step. Uh, and that's, that's the Aristotle step, the unmoved mover. But he couldn't get to the next step of faith. That's what we're going to get to today. The next step of faith is the armor of faith. The next step of faith is personal trust in Jesus. But as an aside, Realize that about 80% of America is stuck at the second level. Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe in God? Do you believe there is a God? I'm going to go to the saving faith. I'm going to go 
armor of faith, and that is, I am going to believe that God sent his son, Jesus, to die for my sins, and now I have personal faith in Jesus. I see the data. I understand the data. Now I personally trust the data, and in my heart, I confess it from my heart, not my mind. I believe it, I receive it, and I live it, and that becomes the final point of this message, the power of faith, then. The power of faith that is in the armor of faith is what we is what girds us and strengthens us and protects us from all of the enemy. You see, faith is not a commodity. Faith is not something that you say, oh boy, I need an ounce of faith to heal my broken toe. But oh no, the doctor just said cancer, so that requires two gallons of faith. Or that requires a 50-gallon drum to overcome this. If I could just get more faith, or stir up more faith, or, or find more faith, or get more of this. No, faith is simply full trust in Jesus as our Savior, healer, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and soon coming again. It's just simple trust in Him. Trust that goes beyond the data, trust that goes beyond what we see and feel, into a personal relationship with Him. You say, well, how does that work? Uh, we, we see it in Hebrews 11 chapter, that wonderful faith chapter that I just quoted from. We start with, just, just do Abraham, the father of the faith, he is called. Because his faith breeds our faith. We are children of him because we are children of faith. So Hebrews 11 chapter, uh, the writer says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now, first, just as an aside, realize that uh, Abraham was a Canaanite. And he was very accustomed to children's sacrifice. So as he began to bring Isaac up, even though it hurt him, he knew, well, I guess this God, Jehovah, is a, a Canaanite God too, so I guess I have to please him by sacrificing my son to him. So he was just being a good, a good religious person. Uh, and so, but the word says, but there was way more to him. And he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, and list to, list to Abraham's faith. This is not data faith. This is not mental ascent faith. This is trusting in Jesus' faith. Because Abraham said, <clears throat> he concluded that God was able to raise Isaac up, even from the dead, from which also he received Isaac in a figurative sense. In other words, Abraham lifted up that knife was ready to plunge it into the heart of Isaac because he believed that the same God that brought Isaac alive out of a dead womb would also bring Isaac alive out of a dead grave. He said, I believe the promise of God. I believe Folks, let me tell you something. Jesus, Jesus. I've said this before and I'm saying it again. I believe that God is moving his church back to the faith of Abraham in these last days. I told you before that everything is failing us. That God is kicking out from underneath us all of our supports. It's all going. And I believe he's moving us back to the place where all of us every day are going to have to stand up and say, I believe the promise. I don't care what my eyes see. I don't care what my ears hear. I don't care what I see on TV. I believe the promise. I don't care what my body feels like. I don't care what people are saying about me or not saying about me. I don't care what I have or don't have. I believe the promise. It goes beyond the data. I believe it. When every scientist proves that there is no God, I would believe the promise. When every government finally outlaws every Christian concept, I would believe the promise. When they burn the last Bible, I'll believe the promise. When the next wave of sickness comes, I'll believe the promise. When the next vaccine fails, I'll believe the promise. When the doctor says no hope, I'll believe the promise. When the economy fails, I'll believe the promise. When the job ends, I'll believe the promise. When the bank account is empty, I'll believe the promise. When everybody who said they love me leaves me, I'll believe the promise. When everyone lies, I'll believe the truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. Because I'm wearing his belt of truth. Right. 
have to do is just stand there and look at it. And my faith, my trust in Jesus, not something I stir up, not something I try to, oh, I'm going to be in faith in God. I'm going to repeat this scripture. That's not that. It's just simply saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. And when the Lord comes, you're going to have to point you. I trust you. I trust you in the midst of every lie. I trust you in the midst of every deception. I trust you in the midst of all the falsehood that surrounds us. I trust you. I believe the promise and not what I see. And the more we fill ourselves with these promises, isn't it true? The more we fill ourselves with these promises, the more fiery darts will be quenched without us even knowing it. Isn't it wonderful you could be victorious and not even know you fought the battle? <laughs> you could be victorious in Jesus and not even know there's a war going on. Because you're just simply trusting him. There is, there is a simplicity, and can I use the word? I, I don't mean it to sound this way. There is a simplicity and a stupidity in faith. Stupid comes from the Latin word stupere, which means to be in a stupor, which means that you're not really fully concentrating on a particular thing. I don't know. I think more and more in these last days, I think we need to fall into a Holy Ghost stupor. Right. Right. Where we're in the Word. Oh, did you hear what happened? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Word. <laughs> did you hear there's no more food in America? Oh, I don't know. I've been eating. <laughs> I don't know, I open my cupboard and there's food there all the time. Right. Not even think about it. Oh, they ran out of gas. There's no more gas for our cars. Well, I don't know. I just keep going to pump the pump. And I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. Simple trust in Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author and finisher of our trust. It can rest in Him. Let's wow. bow our heads. Father, I just thank you for the, the simplicity of the gospel. That, that we can start, we can start this whole journey by just, as we're driving out of the driveway this morning, just look at the trees, look at the grass, look at our hands on the steering wheel, look at the eyeball that we're looking out at these things with that could not possibly have evolved. It had to be divinely created. Just to look at the person next to us. To look at the trees and the mountains and the sky. And the weather patterns. And the beauty of your creation. And realize that you're there. We see your handiwork. And then we can ascend to that. But we're so glad this morning, Father, that we could go to that final step. And we could take this word of God, which has been fought for thousands of years from Voltaire to every other philosopher who said that this would be dead, it would be gone. But yet, this word is flourishing now more than any other time in history. We can look at this word and we can trust it as our rock, solid foundation. We rest in you. We rest in you. And we trust you. And that trust becomes a shield that covers our righteousness and our truth becomes that buckler, that shield that stops everything the enemy wants to do. Just keep our hearts tuned to that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand together, if you will. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I have that armor, and I have all of this, I believe, culminating in that new mind that has the helmet of salvation. The truth, the love, the trust in Jesus that then permeates our minds and allows us to walk with peace and grace and assurance in the midst of a wicked generation. And how many know what the world wants is what we got? And we, they deserve it. They deserve to hear it. They deserve to hear it. And we need to bring it to them. So as we go, go in that wonderful trust in Jesus. How many glad you can trust him this morning? Never let you down. Never let you down. Praise his name. Turn around. Bless somebody go in his name. You are this
doesn't get in there by audio, then you won't get in there. oh, okay.